0: This is part seven in a ten part series describing the makot, the makos in Mitzrayim. The seventh Maka is the makah of Barad, and there's no question that it's a very unique plague on many accounts. In terms of the sheer volume of psukim dedicated to describing the makah, upwards of twenty psukim, whereas typically six, seven, eight psukim describing each maka. To a degree this is a trendsetter. Because Arbel will be described in the same detail as will, of course, Makat Not so much Choshech, but certainly Barad will, and that's why Barad foreshadows this last group of makos. And um inserted it into the as the first of the last four, rather than the last makah of the middle sequence. Simanim were Adash Bi'achav three, three, and four, rather than following. The way that the Makot are divided by the Parshios. Parsha's Vaira has seven, and Bharat is the last one. Parsha's Bo has three, and Arba is the first of the three. So it's clear that Bharat is a bit of a transition Maka. On the one hand, it closes, it concludes the series of three of the Vaera, or the series of seven. On the other hand, it's a transition Maka because it launches the final four, which primarily play out in Bo. So it's a bit of a transition Maka. It has a lot of sukkim dedicated to it. Um, Clearly things change in a very dramatic sense after this Makkah in ways that hadn't been experienced before. And also the way that the warning is issued, the very fact that there is a warning, as opposed to some of the Makot, which didn't have a warning. The warning happened early in the morning. It didn't happen by the Nile River. This was the first time Moshe got up early to warn Paro, but not at the Nile. Could be from Paro's standpoint, he realized that his daily... Drawn out to the Nile were not necessarily that uh, successful because Moshe surprised him and ambushed him at the Nile and issued these warnings which devastated Mitzrayim. Um, perhaps the very fact that he no longer attended the Nile River in the morning for these religious ceremonies was indicative of this slowly regressing Egyptian commitment to paganism. In any event, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu warns him, there clearly are two... Two concepts in Pasuk Yudalat of Paraktes that aren't repeated elsewhere. Kibapam Hazos Hashem says, "Ani Sholech Magevasai El libcha. I will send all of my all of my plagues. Barat is described as all of my plagues, and they will affect your heart. They will frighten you. El libcha, you'll, you'll internalize them. You'll you'll assimilate them. And then the pasuk concludes, Teida." Ki'en kamoni that you will not just know me, but you'll know me exclusively, that there's no one like me. So these are two highlights of Barad, which are very exclusive. They don't appear, they don't occur in any other Makkah. Number one, es kol I'll send all of my plagues, none of the other plagues are called kol Number two, you won't just understand me, you won't just discover me, but you'll discover me exclusively, Ki'en kamoni b'chol And there are a lot... A lot more, lot, many other phrases that are unique to Bharat. It's a very difficult Makkah to describe in a, in a 20 or 15 minute share, but I'll try to highlight three or four themes of makas Bharat. But before I highlight the four unique themes, it's clear that there are two themes that have already been established. There are two um, evolutions, phenomena, which have already evolved that Bharat is contributing to. Number one, The attack on the Egyptian breadbasket, the continual process of taking away, depriving the Egyptians of nutrition, taking away their source of irrigation, the Nile River. They couldn't break their breads in Makkah because these Nile creatures invaded the Tanuracha. They, of course, no longer had fish because the Nile fish died. They no longer had meat because of Dever. Slowly but surely, the Egyptian breadbasket, which was such a source of Egyptian economic might. Were so robust even during the years of famine, all of a sudden the Egyptians are literally starving to death. And despite all the drama of Barad, at its at its substructure, it's an attack on the vegetation, the foliage, the trees. The sheer force of these boulders being flung from heaven shattered trees, as the Torah says. So all the trees were broken. Um, all the stalks of wheat that had grown basically at that point it was already getting close to spring, getting close to Nisan. So the early the early blooming um, barley primarily was was devastated the wheat which generally blossoms and ripens a bit later, it was still soft, it was still flexible, hadn't really grown that much, and therefore it was spared during Bharat, and it was then of course consumed during the ensuing Makkah of Arba. And it's important in this light to see Bharat and Arba as a process, which is in part why Rabbi Huda places Barad in the last sequence of the Bi'achav rather than in the previous sequence of Adash with a base at the end, because Barad and Arbe really are a, a dynamic duo in trying to eliminate the Egyptian agricultural industry. This is very clearly delineated in a pasuk in Tehillim, in Tehillim in Parak Ayn Ches, and, and in, in truth, it's interesting because Barad is the is the most, one of the most featured, if not the most featured Makkah in the entire Tehillim. It's quoted in no less, or it's alluded to, in no less than four prakim. So in Perek Ayn Ches, so, um, in Parak Ayn actually, Mem Zayin, Pasik Mem Zayin, Yaharog Babarad ba, ba Gafnam, the vines were eliminated in Barad, the Shikmosam Machanamal. And the their trees were taken in Khanama, which is probably a a reference to uh to, to Arba well, excuse me, the Pasak before describes Arba, Memvav, the Prosak right before Memzaian, Vayitain Yivulam Arba, that their vegetation was subjected, was handed over to this Arba infestation, Yiharog Baba Kargafnam, and some of the vegetation or produce which wasn't eaten by Arba, it's because it was already taken and consumed by Barat. And in fact there was an easy way for men and livestock to be spared if they just went indoors, and I'll talk about this a bit later. So essentially, the only the only victim of Barad that was uh, unpreventable was the vegetation and the agriculture that was going to be eliminated by Barad, regardless, and then ultimately conclusively uh, conclusively um, devastated by Arba. So this twinning of Barat and Arba is very, very clear in this Parakintillam Ayin Ches. Again, Memvav describes Arba, Pasuk Memvav. Pasuk Memzayin describes the effect of Barat on the vineyards and on the trees. So, on the one hand, Barat still continues this process of attacking Egyptian agriculture. In addition, as I mentioned, the three Makot in the middle of the ten Makot, all lead to social disintegration, to social um, evaporation, that they can no longer, once there is a contagion, society falls apart, they can no longer live in each other's proximity. people they can't even maintain marriages, let alone friendships, people have to run from each other's presence because it's embarrassing, because it's mortifying, and because it's contagious. Um, And Arov eliminates or blurs the line between the city and the jungle and civilization falls apart when those lines are blurred. Barad has that same effect. Basically, people have to run into their homes. Um, and again, there's a Pasuk in Tehillim in uh, in the next Pasuk, Pasuk memchas, after it describes the impact of the Barad upon the agriculture. This is Parak einchas in Tehillim, Pasuk Memches. Vayasger la Barad bi'iram. Hashem enclosed, or closed, because of the Barad, the livestock, umeknehem Shafim, and their cattle was taken. Shafim is a hard word to explain. It can mean many things according to Chazal, as a drasha. But basically, as the Pasach itself in the Torah describes, those who fear HaKadosh Baruch Hu's warning, and who heeded the warning, actually ran with their livestock into the homes before Barad began. So you have this image of people being closed up, battered up in their homes, with their livestock in their living room, reminiscent a bit of Arov, and very much people living in isolation, people living with their livestock rather than as human beings. So they're not dying, especially those who fear the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, But this is a continuation of those three middle makos in leading to social disintegration, leading to the collapse of the Egyptian city. And again, look at that word in, in Tehillim, Perak, Ayinches Memches Vayasger Labarad V'Iram that HaKadosh Baruch Hu closed the people into their homes through Barad. And this is a, a word which uh, David HaMelech uses in a different context about Dever. So Dever and Barad have one thing in common. I'll talk about another thing in common, that they're each described by David HaMelech as quarantining people. In the case of Dever they were quarantined because of the fear of contagion. In the case of Barad, because of the fear of these fiery boulders. So before noticing anything unique about Barad, it clearly is part of um, this process of social closure, Therefore, it is is something which draws from the previous three makkas of Arav, Dever, and Shechin. And it also foreshadows the elimination of the Egyptian agricultural sector, which had begun slowly but was now being ratcheted up. And therefore, it is a tandem makka to Arbe, as and Perak Ayn Ches describes. But what about the unique qualities of Barad? What made Barad unique? So on the one hand, this is really the first time that people will die in Mas. Inevitably the wild animals killed a few, inevitably the frogs or the crocodiles killed a few. But here are people who, or cattle, who remained outdoors, uh, basically would die. Uh, and this is clearly described in Pasagyur Yurtes. Anyone uh, who will not uh, take their cattle in, anything which will be found, men and cattle, Asher Yi Maseba Sadev Uloye Habaisa, they are Analeim Habarad Vamesu. Barad will fall upon them, and they will die. This is not just inconvenience, this is not just mortifying, this is not just some disease of Shechin, this is death. And this is partially why it's referred to as Kol magefosai because this is a death-dealing Makkah. This is partially why, according to some interpretations, Rashi quotes this interpretation, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu warns Paro, I will send all my magefos." He's not just referring to Barad, he's also alluding to the fact that there will be a magefa that will be part of this Barad process called Makas Becharos, and that will ultimately kill many, many more than Barad. Effectively, if if you want, you could probably see Barad as part of a 3 Maka process. Remember I talked about the Makos being aligned in different patterns, not just the Tzach Biachav. There's a Three-part process, beginning with Dever, continuing with Barad, and concluding with makat Bechorot. Namely, these are the three Makos that actually led to direct death. These were fatal Makos. These were not torture, persecution, suffering, inconvenience, economic hardship. These are three Makos of death. And notice, of course, the very, very delicious relationship between Barad and Dever because they're, they're both conjugated by the same letters. Dalid, bays, Resh is Dever. Bez, Resh, dalid is Barad. And in fact, I Baruch even refers to Dever in a very, very subtle fashion. In Pasak Tesvav, I will now send out my hand to, to smite you. V'achos amcha badaver. I will smite you with Daver. daver is a double entendre. It means with this thing called Barad, because daver is, is a thing. daver but it also means Dever. Vatichachein minarit, you will become extinct. So, basically, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is introducing death, death to humans. He's evoking Dever, and he's foreshadowing Becharos. What's happening is as follows, and this is a, a bit of a dilemma for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. On the one hand, he wants to punish. On the one hand, he wants to avenge. On the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to liberate the Jewish people. On the one hand, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to showcase his might. But part of showcasing the presence of akarish Baruch Hu is, and this is, I'll say this in quotes, he needs Paro. Because Paro will will be a great spokesman for other cultures, not just because of what he under, undergo not just because of his experiences, because Egypt was the center of civilization. So... On the one hand, the Egyptians have to be devastated. On the other hand, word has to get out to others about these events. And that's why death has to be introduced as a threat. But it can't be comprehensive, because if everyone is eliminated, then it's very, very impressive, but then there's no one left to tell the tale. So death is introduced, and the pyro is threatened and the noose around Paro's neck, the death noose of things dying, and animals dying, and men dying, and ultimately his own children dying, in, in Bacharos has to be tightened. But Paro still has to survive. And Paro survives Mitzrayim. In fact, according to one shita in, in Chazal, he actually survives Kriyasi Amsof. And he lives to tell the tale because he's needed, as it were, to tell the tale, and this obviously impacts Pyro. According to one sheet, Pyro goes on to be the ruler of none other than Ninveh. He's the king of Ninveh, which, when threatened with divine retribution, ultimately absorbs the message and performs chuva, as Megillus Yonah describes. So, Bharat is, and this is why there's a... You can even sense the dilemma in the Pesukim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that now I will send my hand and slaughter you and your people with dever. And he references the fact that they were a hairbreadth away from dying in Devar. You, you will and you should have become extinct. I spared you in kochi, so that I should showcase my might. that You in turn, should be responsible for publicizing what you saw. So you were spared in Dever, you'll be threatened in Barad, and many will die in Barad, but paro won't, and he won't even be uh, executed in Kol the Makas Becharas. So, there's a transition into death, and that's an intensification of the process. However, Paro was spared, Barad ultimately spared, Makas Becharas as well. So the first theme of Barad is a continuation of Dever, Dever becomes Barad. Dever is referenced during Barad. A foreshadowing of Makas Bacharos, an introduction of death, but ironically, not one which ever eliminates Parah. Probably the second, in in no particular order, is not just introducing the knowledge of Kuchibrichu, but the knowledge of Kuchibrichu as the Creator of the world um, as a singular creator of the world perhaps Egyptians had been completely ignorant not perhaps they definitely didn't and the Makos had introduced them to the concept of theology paganism had been repudiated denial attack was clear repudiation Devar was highlighting something invisible that could still kill that could still wreak havoc and they understood the notion of invisibility um, but do they really yet accept Akharas Baruchu as the creator of the world, as, as the, the god of science and the god of nature? There's no question that that Barad has this impact of introducing Akharas Baruchu through nature. Um, how does this happen? First of all, it's the first, really the first, but I'll call it the first for a moment. The first makap. In which Shakarish Baruch was seen as Elokea Most of the other Makos were grounded at the Nile, the Afar, the Der turn into Kinim. The thing happened in the terrestrial realm. Shchint started to direct Egyptian eyes to heaven because Moshe hurled this soot, this dust, towards the sky and it filtered throughout the heavens and then afflicted the Egyptians one by one. But as I mentioned in the previous year on Shin, this was really Moshe's makkah. At this point it was clear that Akrish Baruch was in heaven, hurling stones down at the Egyptians, fiery boulders. So on the one hand, it lifted the whole process to Shemaim and to a degree, all the other makos after Baruch will now be heaven-based. Even Arba, which you'd think would be something very terrestrial, Arba is summoned by strange, unnatural, easterly wind. So there's a wind from the heavens that draws the Arba. Certainly Choshe HaMakas Bechoros, the sacking of planets, and of course the descent of the Malach So it draws their attention to HaKadosh Baruch who not just as a very powerful magician that can el the Egyptian sorcerers, but as a god of heavens beyond just the human realm. And of course, of course, the most striking part of Barad is this combination of fire and water, and there's one word that captures the, the impossibility from a natural standpoint of combining fire and water, the two of the most basic elements of creation. by barad ve'esh mislakachas betolcha barad. The fire and the water, the fire and the ice, were intermingled, were blended within this general object called barad. Um... This is part of the reason that Barad is linked into Hilam Ayin Zion now, not Ayin Chas, but Ayin Zion. It's linked to the Kriyas Yamsuf, when Hakadosh Baruch was talking to the Jewish people, or or, or, the, or the, the author of Tehillim Ayin Zion, is referring to the events that Hakadosh Baruch Hu performed during the Yitzias Mitzrayim that startled, that amazed the Jewish people, and that convinced them. He so talks about Kriyas Yamsuf and Pasuk Rahucha Maimelukim, the water saw you, Rahucha Maimu, the water the water was uh, was tempested, was disturbed. Um the sounds emerged, Pasekudzh, Afchatza Sechai Halachu, your arrows came down from heaven, call Ramcha Bagalgal, the sound of your thunder in the orbits of the world, Heiru Rakim, the lightning, Tevel Rakhza, Vatirasha Aretz, Bayamdar Kecha. Your path is through the sea, Ushvil Khab Maim Rabim. It's a very, very seamless, seamless transition between the effect on natural elements at Kriyas Yamsuf and the effect of natural elements during Barad, the similarities between, most directly, the effect on water, the sounds, the lightning, the thunder, the winds. There's a little bit of evoking of Matantara as well, the sounds during Matantara. All these three, but prim- primarily Kriyas Yamzov and Barad, and primarily because of this contrast between fire and water, which can't normally, normally they, they cancel each other, and here they coexisted and they fell and they punished the Egyptians, and some of them were frozen, some of them were just simply uh, in, in, injured by the impact of the Barad, by the fire that broke out. There's a sense of conveying to the Egyptians that a Kurish Baruch Hu was not just. A God that exists, but an exclusive God. And not just exclusive, but a creator of our universe, a bore Olam. And this is really the second theme of Barad. Convincing the Egyptians of HaKadosh Baruch exclusivity and convincing them that he created the world as a description of Bria Sa'olam. Many of the Rishon and many of the commentators describe the four elements that were highlighted in Bara, not just fire and water, but wind and dirt. The third element, and this is something which uh, is probably pretty obvious once you describe it, is that Bara in many ways has this classic feel. Everything about the Makos is intriguing, is different. What exactly is the symbolism of Tzvardea? What exactly is the metaphor Are the imageries, the themes, the motifs of Shechin, of of Dever. Fiery boulders being hurled down from Shamayim, expressing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's wrath and anger, that's classic. That's not a makkah that has to be understood any more deeply. It can be understood more deeply. It can be understood as introducing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the Bari Olam, introducing death where it hadn't been introduced before. But there's nothing more classic than a Baruch Barhu avenging a Baruch Barhu expressing his fury, his anger by hurling stones from Shemayim where we envision a Baruch Barhu, as human beings we envision Akhurish Barhu as Shemaim Shemaim Lashem, Ve'aretz as Now, it's classic because don't mistake don't you know don't be mistaken about it. When the Egyptians saw fire coming down from heaven, I'm sure many of them thought about stone the last time that human beings were punished by fire erupting and being hurled down from heaven. And when that fire was uh, accompanied by copious rains and water, it wasn't just borrowed; it seemed to be raining heavily as well, Mata terashem matar, so they couldn't help be thinking about the mabul. So here you've got these ancient human beings basically uh, receiving a combo platter of Noach's mabul and Stone's conflagration. And this is classic Akadosh Baruch Hu, punishing man, who deserves to be punished, expressing his anger by hurling fiery stones. Um, I mentioned the two Prochim in Tehillim, which associate Barad with Arbe, which associate Barad with Kriyasi with which associate Barad with Dever. Perak Yudches in Tehillim also references Barad, and it just talks about a Kurdish Baruch who, generically, so to speak, punishing his foes, the foes of Am Yisrael, and you've got classic apocalyptic imagery, the heavens erupting, the heavens bursting forth, sounds emerging, fiery coals, minoga negdo avav avru barad v'gachalei esh, this is Pasuk Yud Gimel, barad and coals of fire, Pasuk Yud Dalad v'yareim bashamayim Hashem, vel yon yitin kolo, there are sounds in heaven, barad a esh, which directly refer to barad and gachalei so, it doesn't have to be anything unique more than just the classic image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu punishing man by hurling fire or water from heaven. Um, it has uh, militant imagery. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to war on behalf of the Jewish people. And those, Mepharshim, who see the Makos as a uh, carefully aligned war program, see Barad as pretty much the consummation of that war. Um, and in fact, Chazal draw associations not just between the Barad and previous moments in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu uh, dispatched his warriors from heaven, but future moments. So for example, um, when Moshe Rabbeinu Davin's for the Barad to cease, there's a very strange description of the Barad being halted almost in midair. The, the Barad didn't fall to the ground. The Barad Umatar... Loni Tach this is Pasuk Lamed Gimel in Perek Tess. so Chazal, see this as a reference to the fact that the Barad was suspended in midair and reserved for future moments of Barad, two of which we read about in Tanakh. In Yahshua, parak Yod, we see five kings aligning themselves, five Amari kings to try to defeat the Jewish people, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu goes to war on behalf of the Jewish people, and he rains down on the Jewish people, Avne El-Gavish. These big boulders, doesn't really say they were full of fire, but suddenly the same boulders, and Chazal see these as leftovers from the boulders, <coughs> excuse me, from the boulders of Barat. In Melachim Beis, Melch Yehoram, also, uh, is, uh, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu intervenes in his war with Avne El-Gavish, and ultimately, Yecheskel, Perak Lamed Chesk describes the war of Gogu Magog, which HaKadosh Baruch Hu will hurl boulders down from heaven. And uh, according to one version in Chazal, these were the leftover boulders of Barad. So whether actually they're leftover boulders of Barad, or metaphorically they're leftover boulders of Barad, Barad doesn't just introduce death, and it doesn't just introduce HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the creator of our universe, but it also invokes, conjures up the image of stone and of the Mambo, and it foreshadows HaKadosh Baruch is a warrior intervening in Jewish wars and not just intervening in Jewish wars but punishing evil man, immoral man, man who has abused another man. So these are three of the highlights of Barad. I want to describe a fourth uh, because it's a really important one as well. When the Egyptians, uh, when, when they assimilate what happens in Barad, there are two so which describe the Egyptians actually noticing more than they, they've noticed before. One is the description of the pasuk: "Those who feared Hakadosh Baruch Hu. they brought their cattle inside." Hayareis devar Hashem. Those who feared Hakadosh Baruch Hu, they took their cattle inside to save the cattle. When Baruch actually sets, Saparo exclaims something stunning: "Chatasi apam, I have sinned now." This is pasuk Hashem of Hashem is righteous. Vani vami He doesn't just discover Hashem. He discovers Hashem as a tzadik. What does this mean, he discovers Hashem as a tzadik? And he, he confesses his own guilt. This was the only makkah which could be avoided, and easily avoided, by those who accepted HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who acknowledged the Baruch Hashanah, which is simply staying indoors. In fact, in many ways, you have to be really defiant, really blasphemous, to stay outdoors once you saw the bard coming down. Perhaps the bard surprised them Perhaps they tried to run inside, as one account has it, and they were prevented. But ultimately, you were given a warning, to stay inside. But it was avoidable. And HaKadosh Baruch on the one hand, punished the wicked, and on the other hand, had mercy for the righteous, had mercy for those who heeded his word. And it didn't take much. They just went inside. They stayed inside. And, and they were immune. And they were protected. And they were shocked, the Egyptians, that a God who punished who is responsible for quote-unquote evil, could also be compassionate, could also be a tzaddik, could also be a rachum v'chanun. And this is something which is completely foreign to the pagan mind, because pagan mind creates divisions within deities. There are gods of evil, gods of good, every, every force that man experiences and encounters is authored by a different god. And certainly the two forces which are most dichotomous, which are most different, are the forces of good and evil, of punishment and compassion. And they couldn't expect one God to be responsible both for punishing man and for extending compassion and pity to man. So they didn't just sense HaKadosh Baruch Hu's might, the fiery boulders, and they didn't just sense their Baal as a creator of nature, and they didn't just sense um, the introduction of death, but this was a real lesson in one unified God, in Kamoni B'chol It's an exclusive and unified Hashem, Echad Ushmo Echad. They sense HaKadosh Baruch Hu's morality. Remember, most pagan gods are also angry gods, and, and, and ireful, wrathful gods. But again, not just a Baruch Hu's compassion, but the twinning of compassion and justice. And things changed. So now, when power didn't deny a Baruch Hu, he was just in denial. We, we, sometimes people accept their Rabboni Shalom, but just are simply unable to act and, and to adhere Sometimes when you betray HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's not because you deny His presence, but just because you're weak and self-interested. So Parah says, HaShem Sadiq, Vaniva mihar HaRashayim Chatasi HaPam, and all of a sudden things will never be the same. So those are the four sub-themes of Barad. Number one, the introduction of death as part of this almost uh, taunting Parah by introducing death but not killing him. Pyro is necessary to tell the tale. Number two, introducing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the Baruch HaOlam, fire and water. Number three, this classic war from heaven, boulders being flung at the Egyptians. Number four, HaKadosh Baruch Hu who both punishes and has compassion.